All right, let's hear it for the kids again. Love it. Always the best every year. <clears throat> so has anybody seen that um, movie that came out at the theaters recently, Journey to Bethlehem? Anybody seen that? Yeah, me neither. Uh, it, uh, it, it's a musical about the nativity story, kind of like... Um, Remember the older musicals, Jesus Christ Superstar, Godspell? Except this one is set to pop music, so it sounds a little bit more like High School Musical or Glee, right? Apparently a pretty well-made movie, but it may not be your cup of tea if you're not into Bethlehem villagers circling around with jazz hands. Uh, may not be your thing if you're not into a campy Antonio Banderas wearing guy liner, singing as King Herod with boy band soldiers around him. Uh, apparently they take a little bit of liberty with the, the story and the characters and the timeline, but it also includes an appearance by the angel Gabriel, played by Grammy award-winning Christian singer Lecrae. Now Lecrae plays Gabriel a little bit differently, a little bit more comical than awesome. For example, while Mary is sleeping, he is rehearsing his lines and bumps his head. So not exactly the most awesome angelic announcement ever made, but Lecrae said he wanted to portray the angel as being humble, who stumbles over his words so as not to be viewed as worthy of worship. Uh, Lecrae has had his own problems, you know, uh, struggles with doubt and, and deconstruction, but he said he wanted this movie to have the same kind of musical impact on the culture as, as did Hamilton. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen because it's already gone out of the theaters. So if you want to see it, you're probably going to have to wait for Redbox or to stream that thing. But today we've got the real story. I will not be singing nor dancing to present it to you, but it's from this series, Angels We Have Heard. Gabriel's message really is the most exciting angelic announcement ever. And so we're going to look at that today. Last week we saw an overview of what angels are and what they do. And if you missed that, you can watch it online on our website, YouTube, Facebook, uh, the podcast on Spotify. But we saw that angels are messengers. And throughout the Old Testament, God sends these messengers to people like Abraham and uh, Balaam, to Daniel, to, uh, to Lot. And yet God had not sent an angelic or human messenger for some 400 years now. Since the last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi ends the Old Testament, God goes silent for hundreds of years until he sends Gabriel into the Jerusalem temple to the old priest Zechariah to announce that he, would, he and his wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son. They would name him John. He would be the forerunner to prepare the way for the Messiah. Because the fullness of time had come, the prophecies are about to come true. So interesting that God had remained silent for hundreds of years, but within a period of some five months, he sends Gabriel twice to announce these miraculous births. So if you'd like to turn in your own Bibles to Luke chapter one, that's where we're gonna be today. And I hope that you'll see through Gabriel's announcement to Mary, that you too have a calling. You can develop this sense of God calling on your life to be used by him for his purposes. And that's our main point, is say yes to God, being used for his purposes. He wants to use you. Now, not in the same way as Mary, but he still wants to use you. And as we pointed out last week, when angels appear, they are not these 
fairy-like women with long robes and flowing hair and gossamer wings and glowing halos that we see pictured on Christmas treetops. They either appear as men or as awesome warriors. They are spiritual creatures, neither human nor divine. They are something other. They are normally invisible, but they are all around us and can manifest themselves, yet rarely do so. They are superior to us. We will not become them, but we will be like them in some ways, and we are not to worship them. Yet some people get very much invested and swept up in the idea of angels being all around us, invisible to us, um, so much so that they get distracted from God. Even people who don't worship the Lord God uh, feel comforted and almost occultically obsessed with the idea that there are these angels watching out for us and helping us. And even some Christians kind of superstitiously cling to angelic creatures like porcelain figures, like they're lucky charms, but the only lucky charms you should ever deal with are frosted and magically delicious. So don't get involved in all that angelic hype. Okay, we shouldn't expect angelic visitations like in Bible times because Hebrews says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And we've been in the last days since New Testament times and we don't need further revelation. We don't need any new truths brought to us by new apostles or new prophets or even by angels because they can mislead us. We should be wary of anybody bringing us new revelation because they could lead us into false teaching. We have everything we need in God's word, the word of Christ, the New Testament for faith and for practice. But on the other hand, we cannot dismiss angelic involvement because angels are sent to help us in often unknown and unseen ways because Hebrews also says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So that's us. So, and it goes on to say, we may encounter an angel, may not even be aware. Hebrews 13, two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Now, this wasn't the case with Mary. She was very much aware of this angelic involvement this was a very special assignment. So we're in Luke chapter one. We're gonna be picking up here at verses 26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, first, Gabriel, I think, might have been surprised by this mission, that he's supposed to go to Nazareth, to this no-nothing little bitty town. I mean, the first time he went to Zechariah, it was in the magnificent Jerusalem temple, but Nazareth? Nazareth was, was, was nothing. In fact, didn't the prophecies say that the Messiah would come from the city of David, from Bethlehem? But of course, he wasn't aware of the idea that God had already providentially arranged for a government census to cause Mary and Joseph, who were both descendants of David, to have to return to the city of David in Bethlehem. So angels didn't have this all figured out. They had been watching from the very beginning God work out this mysterious plan of salvation. 1 Peter 1.12 says they, they long to look into these things. 
but, but they didn't quite grasp the enormity of it, that God himself would send his son into the world, that God himself would enter into the world through the womb of a woman. And yes, sin entered into the world through a woman in the garden, but salvation would enter into the world through the womb of a woman out of the manger. This was beyond their comprehension. This is something God had never done for the angels. He had never provided for their salvation, though many of them had fallen, had sinned and rebelled and become demons. So the announcement of God's entry into the world, that he would not come to the capital of an empire through an elite group of officials, but instead he would come to this tiny village to a teenage girl, because you know, that's the age of being betrothed, being, being, getting ready to be married. So it goes on here in verses 28 through 33. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. So natural again to be afraid when an angel shows up. That's what we see angels always saying is, fear not. But Mary doesn't seem to be afraid so much of his appearance but troubled by what he said. What are you talking about? Who, me? Are you sure? Who am I? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You're a special servant. You're a chosen vessel to be used for God's purposes, partly because you are faithful and virtuous. You have the kind of character that God has chosen to bring his son into the world, but also partly because of God's sovereign choice, his purpose. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So I want you to notice a few things that we know about Jesus before he's even conceived in the womb. First of all, that he would be the fulfillment of prophecy that the Messiah would come from the royal line of King David. Secondly, that he would be fully human. He would be born from a human woman and experience human feelings and learnings and maturings and have human needs. Now, the Jewish people were aware of the messianic prophecies that the Messiah would come through the line of David. So I'm sure that many young Jewish women back then dreamed that maybe I could be the one to bring the Messiah into the world, that he would be great, that maybe he would, he would even be royal. But I doubt that many peasant girls really thought that. Yes, Mary was from the line of David, but it seemed pretty improbable. And by, by the way, how would she bring somebody in the world who would reign forever? So it was beginning to pick up on the idea that this may be more than just another man. Because thirdly, we already understand Jesus is fully God. He's son of man, yes, but not of a man, Joseph, but son of man. He is human because he's also son of God, most high, sovereign, king of the universe who will reign forever. He's of the same essence and substance as God the Father. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Humanity added to divinity so that the Son could take on flesh to accomplish his work for us. And fourth, the name would be Jesus, which is his mission. 
It means God saves. Can you imagine not being allowed to name your own child? But the name was so important that God said, you've got to call him this because he will save people from the consequences of their sin, death and hell. And then in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now virgin births are hard for people to believe. I don't care when you lived, what era you're you're living, it's a hard story to believe. People scoff at the miraculous and they say, oh, how unscientific. But of course you have to understand, science, true science is limited to that which is observable and repeatable, physical phenomenon. Science doesn't have the capacity to deal with anything of a different metaphysical nature. Science can't even begin to assess anything that has to do with what is supernatural. And by the way, could I point out that virgins can get pregnant today through the medical technology of artificial insemination. Yes, men are still needed, but the woman can still actually remain a virgin. And could I also point out that there are many people today who have no problem with the idea that men can get pregnant. Talk about unscientific. That would really be something. But the truth is men cannot get pregnant no matter what they wear or what surgical mutilations they have. No. This is miraculous. Remember, Mary is the first one to question this. How can this be? Imagine being like a ninth grader saying, look, hey, I know, I know how the birds and bees work here. And I know that in order to get pregnant, I have to get with a man. And I'm betrothed to be married. I'm supposed to stay a virgin. I'm supposed to be unpregnant until after the wedding. What, you, you certainly don't want me to do something immoral to break God's laws to do this, do you? I mean, how, how is this gonna, I believe, but how? Fair question. And so verses 35 through 37, how is this gonna happen? It takes two to tango. Mary hasn't even been on the dance floor yet. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, the birth itself will be natural. I mean, it's just a regular physical childbirth. It's the conception that will be miraculous, that God will somehow spiritually impregnate Mary in a way that we don't understand. He'll create this life in her, something that is impossible for us, but it's possible with God. I know today some young women will take their home pregnancy test and the little stick turns blue and they'll question, how? How did this happen? How did I get pregnant? Like, really? I mean, come on. But you know, Mary's gonna deal with the same kind of issue. She can really say, how did this happen? Nobody's gonna believe this. My, my, my fiance, Joseph, he's not gonna believe this. He's gonna divorce me. I mean, everybody's gonna call me a harlot. I'm gonna be punished for this. Next week, we're gonna hear about how Joseph responds when the angel shows up to him. But what about my parents? What are they gonna say? That they're gonna, they're gonna feel the shame of this too. Yeah, yes, this is a great privilege and a great blessing, but it's also a heavy burden and a cloud 
is going to settle over Mary for the rest of her days. A cloud where people will think that she's loose or a liar or crazy. You know, we tell expectant parents, like, oh, it's going to be so wonderful, but you have no idea how your life is going to change. And we always think, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. No, you, you really have absolutely no idea how different your life is going to be from now on. I mean, it is an initiation into profound responsibility. You are responsible for every moment of this child's life. You will never be living for yourself again because there is now someone more important than you in your life and they are completely dependent on you and are subject to your inadequacies. Good luck with that. <laughs> and what, what if I do something wrong? What, what if I mess up? What if I expose them to something that they shouldn't be exposed to? What if I, I let them do something they shouldn't do because I failed to protect them? Parenthood changes us. You have to mature under the force of moral obligation. And it's difficult, or at least takes longer, to shake off the narcissism and hedonism of our adolescent years. That cloud of responsibility never really lifts off of you, at least until your child grows to be on their own, to settle down, to get married, to have a family of their own, that they're, they're healthy, they have a godly future. How much more did Mary struggle with all of this? To say, am, am I up to the task of raising this unique child? What if I do something wrong? What if I teach this baby the wrong things? What if I harm the baby in some way? What if, what if he doesn't turn out the way God wants him to? And that concern will never leave her, even as Jesus is an adult, because he never does go off and get married and settle down and have a family of his own. He is always under the scrutiny of people's watchful eyes as he's claiming his identity. She's concerned for his safety, for his sanity, as people disbelieve him and reject him and cause him suffering. This is a, this is a great source of glory and joy for Mary, but also tremendous pressure and heartbreak. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I think Mary makes the most profound statement ever uttered by a teenager. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. I'll be a servant. Amazing. Because this is somebody who is probably not old enough by today's standards to be even be entrusted with a driver's license because we don't consider them mature enough or responsible enough to handle such a significant responsibility. And yet God entrusts this young girl with the responsibility of raising and caring for his own son. Mary says, yes, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. I'm willing to give up my life plans, my impending marriage, my reputation, that's okay. Because, God, your will is more important than my will. And I would love for Mary, for her faith and conviction to challenge young people in this church, that she's held up as a great example. In a world where the, people expect you, even encourage you, to act in, in ridiculous, immature, irresponsible, rebellious ways, Mary did not. God expects more of you 
He encourages you to do what's different from the rest of the adolescents in this world. You don't have to go along with them and be like them. You can stand out and be different and have virtuous character and act responsibly and be mature. That's what God wants for you. The world would say, well, if you do that, you're missing out. God says, no, you, you, you get it. But as great as Mary is, I wouldn't want her to be held up as something that she's not. For her to be worshipped in some way. To be venerated in some way. Because that's not the way Scripture presents her. I know that in some churches, in some ways, people will teach that Mary is somehow super special in, in the sense that she is like somebody who is an intercessor for us, a mediator for us, somebody to pray to that reigns as the queen of heaven, that she is even a co-savior with her son. But that's not how Scripture presents her at all. She was not sinless like her son. She needed a savior too. Jesus came to save Mary as well. And if Mary were here right now, she would tell you, no, don't, don't bow down to me. I'm a fellow creature and servant. Don't venerate me because I'm not God. I didn't go to the cross for your sins. My son did that for you. Only he is worthy of your veneration. I can't dispense grace to you. Only he can. He's all you need. Still, she is special. I mean, out of the thousands of women that could have, be, could have been chosen, God chose her. She's the one. So how do you know if you're one of those who are chosen for a special work? You know, I, I teach a Sunday night class online going through a doctrinal book called What We Believe. And last week we went through a chapter that dealt with predestination, you know, which is a, sense, a, a source of contention, a source of debate among Christians, like are we predestined by God? And yes, obviously in the sense that God foreknows who's going to be saved. He's already predestined the plan of salvation that anybody who puts their faith in Christ are the ones who will be saved. They're, but it's not that God uh, randomly or arbitrarily and somehow chooses some to be saved and others to be lost because Scripture says He wants everybody to come to repentance. He sent His Son into the world for everybody. But He knows who's going to respond. He gives you free will he knows whose names are written in the book of life because he has laid down the conditions for being saved. You've got to put your trust in my son. But he doesn't cause us to be saved. Foreknowledge doesn't cause us to be saved. Because remember, God doesn't live inside of time like we do. He can see into the future because he's already there. He's beyond the timeline. But God has predestined some for special acts of service. We know that because he chose Abraham to be the father of the faithful. He chose Jacob to be greater than his brother Esau and become Israel. He chose Pharaoh through whom he would demonstrate his power. He chose Moses and he chose David to be his special servants. Jesus chose the 12 to be his disciples and God chose Mary for her special role. But listen, God has a special purpose of some kind for every life, including yours. Now, it won't be as dramatic as Mary's, and there won't be any angelic announcement to confirm it. But it's true, God has you here for a special purpose. He has a role for you to play his, in his unfolding story. So know that God is weaving his will throughout your life and can do far greater things if you will let him. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
So fulfill your role no matter how big or small, no matter how significant or seemingly ordinary, do what God has called you to do and don't underestimate the ripple impact that you have on other people's lives. That if you were not here and doing what God called you to do, then things would not get done like they're supposed to get done. Which is why I love my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. I watch it every year around Christmas time. Now, to my shock and horror, I found out there are some on our staff who have never seen the movie. I know. So I said, all right, we're having a, we're having a movie party tomorrow night. They're coming to my house. We're going to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Because listen, if, especially if you're in ministry of any kind, if you're serving God, then you understand how important it is, the, the idea that God is using you to impact other people's lives and you don't even know it at the time. You won't know it till later. If you know the story, George Bailey has big aspirations to leave his ordinary life in that small little town to go off and construct big buildings, do big things. But his dreams are shattered in a moment when he's forced to stay home, to settle down, to take over his father's building and loan business, and he's bitter about what he's missing out on while all of his friends are going off and doing great things and, and making a big impact on the world. His life doesn't seem to matter. And in fact, he feels like life isn't even worth living anymore, and that's when the angel Clarence shows up and shows him what life would be like if he had never been born and all the difference he made in people's lives, and it just gets me every time I see that because you, you never realize the difference that you're making until, you, until later. And the same is true of you. Outside of God's will, there is no real meaning and purpose in life. It's only through letting God use you, working out his purposes, that life has meaning. It, you know, look, if people weren't here week in and week out, doing their part, at their post, playing their role, sacrificing their servant, using their spiritual gifts, then people would not be getting saved. Disciples would not be made. Families would not be delivered. Youth would not be redirected. If you're not here doing that, then things don't happen. So say yes to God, using you for his purposes. Again, you might think, oh God, he's not using, for, using me for anything big. You don't know that until later the big difference that you may be making. So don't be bitter, don't be jealous of others, be grateful that God is using you whether big or small ways. George Bailey, how many people one day are gonna be able to say thank you for what you did? If you live every day with that perspective, it will bring joy and meaning and enthusiasm to your life. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, to this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. You have a calling. And may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's by his grace that you can do this. Has God chosen you? Absolutely. You are predestined for his service. You are saved to serve. You are made to make a difference. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our good works. We are saved for them. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Jesus, with repentance, in baptism, for good works. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus? 
We're making that invitation to you right now to make sure that your life has meaning and significance and will go on forever. You need to give your life to Christ. Either text us, email us, come to the front. In a little bit, we're going to have music playing. You just walk up to the front or after the service, there'll be people up here to answer your questions, to help you take your next step, to rededicate your life, to join the church, to get baptized today right here on the spot. What do you need to do to know that you're in God's purposes? Will you say yes to God today? Will you say yes to God using you to be his angel, to be a messenger to bring the good news to other people during this Christmas season? Who's your one? Who can you go out and invite? In your summary page you've got there, there's a sample text. You can send that to somebody, call somebody on the phone, share a a social media post with them, and say, hey, we would love to have you join us this Christmas at South Point. It's going to be meaningful and a great way to start your holiday. And send them to christmasindownriver.com. Let's pray about all that right now. Lord, we want to thank you for angels. Uh, They're your servants and your messengers, and we want to be that too. Uh, For now, you've made us a little, we're a little bit lower than them, but you've done for us what you didn't do for them. You made us in your image. You became one of us, and you gave yourself for us, and we're so grateful for that. I want to thank you for Mary, her example of faith and character and obedience. Help us to be as ready to respond to your will as she was. And thank you for Jesus, for coming into this world as one of us so you could relate by experience, you could sympathize with us, you could show us the way, and you could tell us the truth, and you could model the life to live. So I'm saying yes, God. Yes, I want to be saved. I'm through saying no. I'm through saying later, not now. Thank you for giving my life meaning. You made me for good works. You've given me a calling. You've given me grace, power for your pleasure. Yes, I want to please you, Lord. So yes, God, use me for your purposes and to spread the good news. I pray it in Jesus' name.